Um, let, me just, let me just share this as we get going here. One, one of the things that this morning is going to be is a little bit more prayerful and reflective. Okay, that's actually why we've kind of scaled back a bit. That's also why, given the text we're in this morning, uh, the songs we picked and the ways that we kind of want this service to be is a little bit more uh, examination of our hearts. i got to be honest, as I was studying this text this week, uh, it was difficult. Uh, it's always difficult uh, because you never feel worthy to preach and you're never, you never are worthy to preach the Bible, uh, but God enables you by his grace through his spirit to do that. And um, so... Uh, yeah, there's just some, some good conviction that, that, that landed on my heart this week. I'm sure it'll spill graciously into yours uh, as I get to just throw up on you uh, everything that God has convicted me of during the week. So um, that's what it's going to be. So let's just pray and ask God to do that. God, you are you're awesome. Thank you that uh, you called your church into community. Thank you that you called your church into something bigger than ourselves. Uh, God, we just marvel at what you're doing, uh, not just here, but in your church across the world. Uh, the ways that you are faithful to your promises, the ways that you are redeeming and rescuing sinners, God, and bring them into a new adoptive family with you. God, we pray even this morning maybe some would repent and turn to Christ. Uh, God, in, in light of who you are and that you're enough and that you're supreme and that you're preeminent and that you are worthy of our lives. Uh, God, challenge us this morning. I pray just for honesty, uh, for transparency in our hearts before you. Uh, then maybe you'd show up in a way that surprises us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter 1, and if you're just dropping in, let me just give you guys just a, uh, a real quick kind of, um, you know, backing as to what's been going on, okay? This is the church written to the church of Philippi. Paul is the one who actually planted this church. He pastored this church. He loves these people. So if you read a lot of the letters that Paul wrote, um, most of them are a little bit more specific with issues that are going on. There are issues in this letter, but it's much more endearing. It's much more um, affectionate towards the Philippian brothers and sisters. He loved this church. He loved the ways they were growing in Christ. He loved reminding them of the gospel that he preached to them. And we were, we were reminded two weeks ago and last week, if you missed it, how this church started. You can go to Acts 16 and see how... Paul's on his second missionary journey. He gets to Troas, the last piece of land. God calls Christianity from Asia to Europe. He goes on a boat across the Aegean Sea, makes a few pit stops. He lands in Philippi. He goes to a riverside prayer gathering, starts sharing the gospel with three or two very, well, one, unlikely convert, Lydia, wealthy business executive. She trusts Christ. Then, the next week, they gather again, and this slave girl who's manic, who's demon-possessed, who's screaming at him, she gets saved out of her enslavement to demon possession and enslavement to sin, and then we see them all get thrown in prison because people don't like, the Jews don't like, the, the Roman people don't like, that the, the, the man that they executed as a criminal, their preaching is the God of the universe and the Savior of the world. So they don't like that, so they throw them in prison, and God's like, well, i got a few more people I want to save. So the jailer gets saved. They start meeting at Lydia's house. The church grows, and Paul's writing back to this church who he hasn't seen in four years. So the church is wondering, how's Paul doing? Right? How's the gospel doing? And we saw last week how he is primarily concerned with the advancement, the progression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's basically just going to continue that this morning. And, and here's the thing that I, I love about Paul. When you, when you read his letters, especially this letter, like, like he actually means the stuff he's saying. You, you know what I mean? Like, like this isn't just stuff he memorized in Awana, right, or, or on a track, Right, like that's, He's not just reciting things. He actually believes this. 
Like if you look at his life, the, the, the mind-blowing things that he says, he's actually living out and he actually believes. So, so this is not just some cute idea of something to jump into. Hey, I'll, I'll join Christ and, and his team and then life will work out well for me. No, he, he joins Christ because he's enough. Because he's worthy of his worship. He's worthy of his life. Right? Paul knows out of anyone what it's like to be a, a wicked sinner, a terrorist, Right, someone persecuting and killing Christians to then be brought into a new family of God, redeemed and made new. Right, he knows that at anyone what that's like, and yet he still calls himself the chief of sinners. Right, and so he, here we see that these are, Paul's not just saying the right things. Like he doesn't write biblical letters inspired by the Holy Spirit just to say the right thing. I think this is a challenge for us, which is why I think it's going to be deeply convicting for us. Is Have you grown up in your Christian life just saying the right stuff? Like, is this just like an event for you on Sunday where you come, or is this like community for you? Is this where you actually want to learn and grow and walk in your relationship with Jesus? Is this where you want to give more of yourself to him and not just take for yourself? You know, what, what is the gathering for? We're going to see a lot of this in the text that he has laid before us. And so Paul last week talked about how he was just happy the gospel was being advanced. We saw that there were two kind of different ways it was being preached Right, some are doing it out of envy and rivalry, right? right? Sinful motive. Others are doing it sincerely out of love. He goes, man, look, I don't care in pretense or truth. I'm just rejoicing because Christ is being preached. People are hearing the gospel. So I know there's wicked motives in, man, in, man, in men's hearts, okay? But, but they're not Gnostics. They're not into Greek the, myth, mythology or any of that stuff. Like I could sign their doctrinal statement. So, so I, I'm just glad they're preaching Jesus Christ, okay? We'll leave God up to judging their motives. And here he continues in verse 19 saying, oh, he's rejoicing in this. He's rejoicing in the advancement of the gospel. Look at verse 19. Here's what Paul says. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now here's the sledgehammer. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's close in prayer, right? I, I, I don't even know how to move on. Okay, so, so here's what's going on. Paul is unceasingly praying for the Philippian church. Right? And then he, then he turns a corner going, okay, now, now I need you to be praying for me. Okay, it's not just a one-way street. Now, this is great. and this, this sounds really weird, me saying this, but pray for your pastor. Right? I mean, it's a it's good thing for pastor, pastors to ask for prayer. So it's not just leadership praying for their church. It's the church praying for them. So Paul's saying, hey, please intercede for me. Please pray for me. Please send prayers to God on my behalf because he's not ultimately sure what's going to happen to him. That's one of the reasons he's asking for prayer. You, you, you kind of see, you're going to see him kind of like, it's almost like he's having this weird conversation with himself. Like, I'm not really sure if I'm going to make it. I'm not sure if I'm going to die or live. Or Hey, but just keep praying that God would do what is right. Okay, because whether I die or whether I live, may he be exalted. And so here, here's what's amazing is he'd love to see the Philippians again. You can see that. We're going to see it in the next few verses too. He would long to give them a hug. He'd long to pray with them. He'd, love, he'd long to see them face to face and see what God's doing. But, but here's what's amazing. The most crucial thing for Paul is not whether he lives or dies. You guys with me on that? I, want, I mean, we need to hear this loud and clear. Like the most important 
thing for Paul is not that he lives or dies. The most important thing for Paul is Christ, is the witness of Christ, is, his, is him maintaining the witness of Christ. So we're going to see him later say, hey, if I die in this prison guard, hey, great. As long as I got to advance the gospel, Caesar's household, chapter 4 is hearing about it, getting saved, becoming saints in the kingdom, or whether I die, then I just get to be with Christ, I get to see him. It's a win either way. Don't you see that my goal is Jesus? Like, he's just going to keep saying it. I told you, this, this letter, you're going to get sick of hearing it because he's just going to say, Christ is all, Christ is all, Christ is all, Christ is all. Hey, by the way, Jesus is enough. That, that's, what he's, that's what he's encouraging us. And why? Because he is. Because much of us, by the illusion of the dysfunction that the world says, this is how you find joy and fulfillment and contentment. And a book that's about joy, fulfillment, and contentment, he's going to say, is only found in one place, in one place alone, which is Christ. And then he makes this huge statement at the end of there, for me, let's just look at the first part, to live is Christ. Of course it is, Paul, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean what, what do we know about Paul? What do we know about the people who he's seen converted to Christ, right? Lydia, this, this wealthy business executive, okay, okay, what was her God? What was living for her? Wealth. And where did it get her? Wealthy and empty. Right? So, so, so is Paul going to live for wealth? No. I mean, he sees that still makes you empty. And here's what's awesome. He watched the gospel overpower all of these different loves and lusts of your heart. Right? The, the, the demonic, the, 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 the manic slave girl. I mean, she was, what, enslaved to the bitterness and hatred she felt? How she felt worthless? It, and what did Paul see? The gospel overpower that and, and forgive her and free her. So what's, is Paul going to live for just wallowing in, in pity and in worthlessness and bitter and anger? Is that how he's going to live his life? No. Well, no, to live is Christ. So, so he's seen all these different things happen. All the, Paul's seen the dysfunction that comes from being enslaved, all these different types of ways the world tells us to live, and how the gospel overpowers them. So of course Paul's going to say, to live is Christ. Like, there's no debating. Like, it's not, I'm not second-guessing the value of following him, right? It's like Peter in John 6. What does Peter do in John 6? He goes, I don't, I don't know where else to go, okay? So, so Jesus, wherever you go, I mean, everybody else leaves him, and he's sitting there going, I don't know. I mean, you got the keys to eternal life, so I don't really have any other better option. It's foolish to wander away from you. It's, it's, it's this amazing, amazing thought. So, so Paul is, is saying these things because he actually believes it. Like he actually believes to live is Christ. That fundamentally to have any true source of life is to live for Christ. His life infused in ours. Our life hidden behind his. Right, becoming one with him, his Holy Spirit indwelling you. That's to actually truly live, right? We are, what does the Bible say in Ephesians 2? You are actually dead before you're made alive in Christ. So, so you're actually not even really living. 
I know that, that sounds kind of weird, but you're actually just a, a, a enslaved to the prince of the power of this air. You're just wanting your own decisions. You wanted to be your own God. You wanted to make all your own decisions. And then Christ comes in and awakens you to true life, that, that all his good gifts are not meant for you to just terminate on you, and you just to abuse those gifts for your own happiness, which leads into more anxiety and more frustration and the merry-go-round. You just run around over and over and over. No, it, you, all of a sudden Christ awakens you. You realize your life was made for worship, to worship someone much greater than yourself. And all of a sudden, true joy, true life begins and so he says here to live is Christ I choose Christ now you know this is real because read about his stonings read about his beatings he he really lived his life to live is Christ and die is gain so I want to stop just for a minute because this is one of those passages that you you read and, and you do one of two things you either just kind of ignore it just kind of brush it off. You don't want to listen. You don't want to be convicted about it. Or you let God's kindness convict your heart. Because this is one of those texts that I was, I was reading this week. And I was like, man, I don't know if I can honestly say that. Like if I'm just being raw with you, I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, I found myself the day I was reading this text, going, man, for me to live is Mike Reed. If I'm honest. If we, are we allowed to be honest, right, in church? Allowed to be real? Like that, that, that's, what, that's what I was feeling. Okay, so, so here's, here's my question before you. Just, just be honest, okay? Don't say the Christian thing. Don't Because don't, here's the thing. We're so used to lying in general that we love lying even in our prayer life. Right, well, you can't even be honest with God, and yet he knows your heart anyways, right? So he's like, why are you just lying about it, bro? You know what I mean? Like, oh, for me to live is Christ. No, it's not. So just tell him it's not. <laughs> like, don't, don't, don't fix it up, or we're so used to wearing masks around everybody else that we come to church, want to wear the mask. I mean, what's living for you? Some of you guys are like, man, living for me is being on vacation, steady income, man, that's living, Right, for me, living is my family not having any arguments and our whole family being perfectly, you know, symmetrical and everybody's healthy, everybody's godly, everybody's reading their Bible, everybody's doing devos, everybody's going to church, everybody's in Christian school. I don't know, I don't know what it is for you. What's living for you? And is it, is it Christ? Is he your goal? Is he your pursuit? Is he the one you want to worship and make known and make famous? What is it for you. So the question is for me this week is for Mike Reed to live Christ. Is that for Mike Reed? Is that true of him? And so here's something I had to confess this week to God. As I was so convicted by this text was, man, this week? Man, to live is definitely receiving praise. I really like it. I really love the approval of man. I really do. And God, I'm stealing glory from you. I'm sorry. Help me to live as Christ. I don't know what it is for you. It's something. Right? I mean, it's different things for everyone. And so here's what I want to do just, just for a minute. You might be like, well, we're going we're gonna to pray right now. Well, you're in church, so... That should be expected, right? If, you're, if, you, if you don't know Jesus, that's what we do. We pray. 
but, but I want to just give us a minute before we even move on for you to just be honest with him. Just admit what living for you is. Maybe some of you guys are like, man, to be honest, I, I, don't, I don't share the gospel with my friends because I just don't really love them that much. Just tell them. Or maybe for me, I love my job a lot more than you, so I'll spend a lot more hours there. I'll even maybe do some unethical things there because I'm more concerned with a paycheck than, than, than really you being the goal. So just confess that. Just be honest. Admit it. And then, and then here's what's beautiful. Forgiveness is readily available. Right, because for you to live is Christ. This is what's awesome. I mean, for you to live that way, right, for you, I mean, it's Christ doing that work in you anyway. So if you think that by you confessing something's gonna mess up your relationship with Jesus, you don't understand the gospel because Christ makes your relationship with himself. Like it's his righteousness. So, so you confessing just glorifies him more and brings him more praise because you're admitting, hey, you're the only righteous one. I mean, really, Jesus Christ is the only one who can say to live is me. Right? With all integrity and honesty. And so I want to just, just give us a minute. I don't care if you get on your knees. I don't care if you just sit in your seat. I just want to give us a few minutes of just silence where we can just be still and transparent and honest and just confess to God, hey God, this is me. And to live is this, is comfortability. I just love comfort more than you. I don't want anything to mess it up. I don't want you to take away my house. I want to have a picket fence. I want to have a dog outside. I want pepper spray for my daughter. I, want, I don't know what it's like. Maybe for you to live is everyone thinking well of you. I don't know. But let's just take a second and, and, and take time with the Lord. And then just thank him for his forgiveness. Thank him that his righteousness is found in Jesus. And then we'll keep reading the text. Father, thank you that you're enough. God, thank you that we're totally at your disposal, even for a renewed desire. God, and none of us can just leave here and all of a sudden be able to say to live as Christ. It takes an act of your Holy Spirit. So God, would you kindle in us a desire and a hunger and a longing to make much of you and not much of us? God, would you help this church, this place, 
that, that the mantra of, of the words out of our mouths would be to live is Jesus. Not to live is Mike or John or Sarah or Alex or Rachel or, no, to live is you. Oh God, rid us from our self-centeredness. We're consumed with ourselves. And thank you for the cross that we find mercy consistently, that we find grace consistently. Forgive us. And now God help us to walk. Amen. Amen. So to live is Christ. To live is Christ. And here's what's great. There's the other piece. To die is gain. Okay, so not only is to live Christ, we've also got to die is gain. And he unpacks that here in verse 22. He says this, if I'm going to live in the flesh, that means if he's going to stay, if he's not going to die, that means fruitful labor for him. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith, so that in me you have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So here's the thing. Paul says, I don't care if I, if I live as a prisoner or if I die as a prisoner. All I care about is Christ. So if I'm going to be alive on this earth, great. Right? The, the advancement is Jesus, living for him. And if I, if I die, then, then great. I get to see and be with Jesus. Right? Jesus is the goal either way for Paul. And, and, and here's what's crazy is he says here that it's actually better that if he departs and is with Christ. That he sees it as a better option. Even though he's kind of saying, I'm, I'm torn, I would love to depart and be with Jesus because that would be so much better, being physically united with the one who bought me. <laughs> okay, now I, I think, because this is missing in my life, there are spaces in my life this is missing, because I think this is missing in the church in general. That, that death is gain. Can we be honest about that, right? We don't want to leave our comfortable, Americanized, Western civilization, right? And this is where it's all at. And, and thankfully, we're seeing that this is not where it's all at. Just watch the news, right? This has never been where it's all at, right? It's always been future glory. That's where it's all at. Right? And here, here's, here's what's amazing is, is this, this, this idea of to die is gain. There are so many Christians, myself included, who, who don't really long for heaven. It's just like to live is Christ. Is that true of you? And to die is gain. Is that true of you? Because Paul's going to say, and actually the scriptures are going to tell us a lot over and over that that. If there's no resurrection after this life, right, we're just to be pitied. But, but what happened, right? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, hey, no, no, the resurrection, right, you, you longing for this future resurrection is, is beautiful because in death now there's no victory with death over your life, right? There, there's no sting there anymore. Now death is gain because you get to go home. 
So Paul's saying right here that, that death for him is a beautiful reality for him. Now here's what's so interesting. As he's having this dialogue about, man, not whether I'm sure I really want to really die or really want to stay, or as he's being torn, he says here, and this is amazing, he says, he says he's torn between the two, not because staying means more glory for him. So he says, if I'm going to stay, it means more fruitful labor. Right, if, if I'm going to remain alive on the earth, if God's not going to take me yet, if my time's not up, he's the author of life and death, okay, then that actually means fruitful labor. I'm going to give myself for more of the kingdom. I'm going to give a little bit more. I'm going to sacrifice a little bit more. I'm going to help grow other brothers and sisters in Christ a little bit more. I'm going to worship Jesus more. Right, that, that's, that's what's amazing here as, he, as he's showing this. So he's saying, I want to stay so that I can advance the gospel more. So, so, so staying for Paul is not so that he'll be more happy. You see that? Like, like staying for Paul is not so that he'd be more comfortable in his life. Now, my fear is many of us, we, we want to stay because we just like our life. Right? Now, there's nothing wrong with loving the good, kind gifts God's gives, God gives you. Your family, your job, people, joys. Those are all good gifts from God that are used to worship him and not you. But at the end of the day, the goal is Christ. So his goal is using all of those things, all of those gifts to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, not make his life better. Because look at what he says in verse 24. To remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So if he's going to live, there's something necessary about it. Now, this is, this is a, a really, really cool text because, because Paul's basically saying, I need to stay on the earth because you need me. Now, listen, Paul's not saying that he's God, okay? He's not saying that, listen, Paul taught the sovereignty of God. You can't read Paul without seeing his good, robust belief in God as the authority of everything. So he's not saying that the world's going to fall apart if I, you know, vanish and get raptured or if I leave or if I die. No, he's saying there's something about the way that God's wired the body to where we're all different members, all different parts, and we're necessary for one another. That the Bible will say if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit, you're important. You're necessary to the body. You're necessary to the building up, the edification of the church of Christ. Like, no one's useless in this room. Isn't that beautiful? You may be sitting here going, man, well, I don't really have any gifts. Yes, you do. You have the Holy Spirit? That's it. Right? That, that's your gift. That's primarily the gift God's given you so that you can advance the gospel and be necessary to the church. So Paul says, if I'm going to stay, I'm necessary. So let me just ask you, are you, are you necessary to church at Bergen, if this is your church home, or the church you attend, are you necessary to that church? Here, here, here's what I mean. If you found out today that you had to move this week, would church at Bergen feel it? Would we notice that part of the body being gone because you were a necessary part? Like, would anyone at all notice that? Or, or maybe is it possible that by you leaving it would help the church? I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, there's two sides to this, right? I mean, it's not just, it's not just building up. It could be helpful, right? I mean, that's not good either. I mean, I mean, wh- who, who are you in this thing called the body of Christ? Are you someone who just criticizes or someone who is constructive 
Listen, people who just sit and criticize don't realize that they're necessary. And as soon as they realize they're necessary and start being a constructor, they get criticized. You know that? Listen, critics don't build anything. They just sit and point the finger. That's not what God's called us to do and be. He's called us to be necessary for the body. I mean, I mean, what if everyone in this room had the same attitude you had towards the church? What would this church look like? I, I don't know what it would look like. But are you necessary to the church? What, what if everyone had the same level of, of passion for Christ as you had in this church? What would this church look like? What if everyone had the same level of love you have for other brothers and sisters in this church? What would the church look like? It's a great question I ask myself all the time. Especially being in leadership, you by nature kind of replicate. And the trickle-down effect I can't avoid. You all can. But you guys are still trickling over horizontally. Whether you want to or not, that's the thing, right? Remember Charles Barkley goes, I'm not a role model, so it doesn't matter what I do. Well, whether he likes it or not, he's a role model. People are watching him and being influenced by him, and that's the way the church is. Whether you want to be an influencer or a necessary part of the church or not, you are. And people are either going to be built up more into the image of Jesus by being around you, by you being a part of this church, or they're going to be deconstructed and less like Jesus by you being a part of this church. Now, now I'm talking to those of us who are Christians. If you're not a Christian here, you're totally exempt from this exam, right? You just get to enjoy and laugh at us. You know what I mean? And you're probably going, yeah, amen, amen, yeah, that's, that's the first time you've ever told a pastor to keep preaching, right? Because there's something in your heart that resonates with this. And so Paul's saying here, man, if I, if I left the church, it would hurt the body because I'm a necessary part of it. So Paul longs to see them, longs to hug them, longs to continue walking with them. And then here's what's awesome. He's going to show what this really looks like. Okay, because he's going to show that when we do all this, this causes glory to Jesus. Right? That, I mean, that's what he says. He says that if he's with them, if this is happening, progress and join the faith is going to continue. Right? We're going to have ample cause of glory in Christ because he's forming and fashioning his church the way that he wants. And he wraps up this introduction in verse 27. He tells these Philippians who he loves so much, he starts begging them for something. He asks them for something. Look at what he says in verse 27. Only then, so, so he's following all this, okay? Only then let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay, just stop right there. That is crazy. Right? I mean, come on. If, if you're like me, I'm reading this first and going, okay, I know Mike reads life. I know the sin that entangles me. I know the ways I stumble and fall. I know the ways that I'm imperfect. And I know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Perfectly holy God bought me it with a price by his own blood. He demands and deserves all of my worship. Okay, wait, and Paul's saying that he wants me, sinful Mike Reed, to live in a manner that's worthy of that. What? what? That's impossible. <laughs> right? I mean, if you're just reading the text as it, as it reads, you're like, man, there's no way. Otherwise, you're super arrogant. You know what I mean? Like, like, like for, I mean, I know I'm going, man, I can't possibly live my life in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. So thank goodness he tells us what that looks like. <laughs> he doesn't leave us. That's why it's great to let scripture interpret scripture. Look at what he says. He keeps going and he explains it. He says that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, 
Here's what it looks like. I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. These are the first two things. He's going to do the third one in just a minute. So living a life worthy of the gospel, number one, is standing firm in one spirit. So here's what happened in the church of Philippi, right? Let's be reminded, Acts 16, what happened, guys, right? Three unlikely converts who never would have done life together were born into a new community. So, so now these three totally different people have to stand firm with one mind and one spirit. That's not easy, <laughs> right? That's not easy to do. And, and here's what Paul is showing is Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, everyone else, they're standing firm in one spirit. And as they stand firm in one spirit, what is that doing? That is a demonstration of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not living a life worthy of the gospel because you're demonstrating in Philippi that, hey, the gospel overcomes economic divides, socioeconomic divides, ethnic divides, right? Because all of a sudden the gospel comes in and makes you one family. So now you've got you to gotta learn to live together. Now you've got to learn to walk together in one like-minded community. So, so here's what, what this means. The first part. Live a life that is patient and grace-filled towards other brothers and sisters where you get to know their heritage and spiritual journey. Like before you make just an offhanded comment, Get to know them. Get to know what makes them tick. Get to know why they land in that particular place of theology. Like, like just live a grace-filled, patient person and shepherd one another. Because here's what this also means. And here's what I've been praying this week. That we would love the church more than our theological preference. Come on, we've, I've had conversations with some of you, right? I mean, we, we know, right, we take, we take a flag that's not the gospel, we stick it in the ground, start waving it like it is the gospel, and all of a sudden, you're more about homeschooling than you are about Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that, that's just what I'm saying. Like, we got to be patient, graceful. Okay, hey, why do you think that? Why do you believe that? Okay, great. Yeah, let me, listen, there's room for healthy disagreement, guys. I'm not talking about not disagreeing on the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? <laughs> the, the, what he's saying is this community makes you one is the life, death, burial, resur burial, resurrection of Jesus, the perfect son of God, all the stuff in our basic statement of beliefs, right? We're not talking about not acknowledging those or disagreeing on those, we're talking about these peripheral issues that make you you, that you've just got a hankering for, that you want to see happen, which is great, but can we just be grace-filled in our conversation? Can, can, can we be honest enough to say that, listen, it took you 15 years to land there, and you're expecting someone who's been walking as a Christian for a week to land there tomorrow? Like, like you know what I'm saying? Like, and here's what's awesome is this is going to advance the gospel. It's not going to divide the body. It's not going to cause unnecessary division. It's going to allow us to stand firm in one spirit. Listen, we should be talking about good theology. If anyone knows me, like I love deep, robust theological conversations, but I think that we need to be cautioned, many of us, 
in the arrogance by which we talk about just peripheral issues. Be careful. Walk in grace. Because theology was never intended to be a device or an instrument that you use to beat people into an image of you. Are you tracking with that? Look, I know we all have backgrounds. This is what I love, man. If we're honest, we're a bit of a circus in here. Like, it's, it's awesome. We've got Baptist backgrounds. We've got Presbyterian backgrounds. We've got, I mean, Anglican backgrounds. We've got Lutheran backgrounds. We've got people that grew up in the Catholic Church in here. So listen, you throw all of us in the same room, you bet. When we're in community groups and we're having conversations, things are going to come up. Right? Well, I do church this way, and I do community this way, and I do, you know what I mean? Like, like that's going to come up. Praise God that comes up. And let's just talk in grace and love and kindness. And let's walk in it. And let's have dialogue about it. This is, this, is, this is so important. This is part of living a life worthy of the gospel. Let's fight for the main things. Let, let's, let's go to war over the necessary things. And if you're wondering what those are, go on our website and read them. They're the same in basic beliefs. And if, you've gone through, if you're going through membership, you know what they are. I mean, we've, we've got those listed out, Okay. Here's the other piece, though. Not only do we stand firm, we strive side by side. It takes striving. This is a word you're going to hear a lot in Philippians, to strive together. Here's why. Striving's not easy either. And here, here let, me, let me surprise you. Do you know that people in the Bible are just like you? Do you know that? Like, did you know that, that, that everybody who was converted in any of these churches or letters that Paul planted, did you know they all of a sudden didn't become sinless and never argue about anything? Do you think Lydia and the slave girl in the jail all of a sudden, man, perfect unity, man. They're never talking about any differences. They don't have any different. Are you serious? Can you imagine the ways they wanted Philippi to operate based upon their background? So he says we strive side by side. And here's how this all ties together. That word striving side by side is the word that we get athletics from. Like a team concept. So here's what that means. You look much more like a co-worker than a customer. Right? Now, you can, you can see how different that looks. I mean, we all know what customers are, right? What are customers? They just go whatever's on their terms, Right? So I'm going to go where every, everything is just like what I want, right? Now this just plagues the church today, right? And, and, and some, some problems, it's our problem because we just feed it, right? Hey, hey, what do you want to see? Oh, shorter services? Yeah, we'll get shorter services. Oh, you want longer worship? This type of music? Oh, this type of, oh, you want, you want Bounce House and Bergen Kids? Yeah, we'll put Bounce House and Bergen Kids. Oh, you want a cooler pastor? Not Mike Reed? Yeah, yeah, we'll get a cooler pastor. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just nonstop. I mean, it's just over and over and over. I mean, and it's just like, oh, what do you want to see? What do you want to see? Right? Shorter preaching, longer preaching. Less deep, more depth. I mean, we can just run in circles with this, right? I mean, I've had people meet with me and go, hey, Pastor Mike, sell me on your church. Why I should come? And I'm like, I got nothing to sell you on. I mean, what, our cool graphics? I mean, we don't have any. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I don't know. All I know is we want the word of God to be preached. We want to walk in unity. We want to love one another. We want to be standing firm in one spirit and fight over Jesus and make him famous and strive together in love and grace, letting the gospel penetrate our lives. And I mean, I don't know. That's what I want. So I don't know. You can come, check it out. If you hate it, leave. I mean, you know, this doesn't have to be for you. 
We spend so much time just catering to everybody. And listen, listen, us as the consumers and customers, man, it just destroys your joy. It just kills your, your vitality as a Christian. It does. We've all known people like that. Some of us are those people. I used to be that person. I'm still whittling out some of those areas. I'm not perfect. But I remember my, my youthful days. <laughs> so some of you guys are like, no, but seriously, I've got, you know, when I was, you know, 12, you know, like, like I had, no, but, but seriously, I mean, in my early 20s, I remember, I remember just, just having this, like, just unhealthy angst and telling everybody else what they were doing wrong. It just got me nowhere. It just sucked the life out of me. I just lost my joy. He's saying, let's strive together side by side for the faith of this gospel. Let's be co-workers together. So, so here, Paul is showing us that the intention of the church was never to be a bunch of consumers that are looking for their pond that they want to jump in and swim in. It should look like a bunch of co-workers together who are laboring with the same mind, fighting over the most important things, striving together, working it out, bearing with one another, all for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's his concern. His concern is not that you agree on every peripheral theological issue. His concern is Jesus Christ moving forward, the church of Jesus Christ advancing. And this is going to allow that to advance. So, so can I just ask you to pray this for us? You, if you're wondering what to pray for, pray this, these verses for Church at Bergen. Pray, and for churches all over this world. Pray that God would help us to be these kinds of people. And here's what's awesome. You know, if you're a customer, you don't feel the intimacy that a coworker does, do you? Do you? Right? You know who really feels intimacy in the church body? Those who are locking arms, striving, praying they'd be like-minded, having good, healthy conversation, growing in grace, growing in love. Man, there's intimacy there. There's depth there. People on the fringes are usually those who are just customers. Mm, let me see. Let me see Mike's exegesis today. You know, it's good. It's valuable. It's important. But what's primarily driving you? So we live a life worthy of the gospel by standing firm in one spirit, by striving together. And then one other thing, verse 28 not frightened in anything by your opponents. So we live a life that's worthy of the gospel by standing firm in one spirit, by striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and we're fearless regardless of our situations against the opponents. Right? But now, now hear me. If you're standing firm in one spirit and you're striving side by side, that will help cultivate a fearlessness in you. Now, I don't know what the, the opponent is, but here, l- l- here's why this is hard for us. All three of these are hard for us. Here's why this one in particular is hard for us. More than likely, I'm not saying you won't, because I think we're headed a direction that is, there are possibilities and, and, and circumstances, but more than likely you will not find yourself in imminent danger because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And before you get all political on me let, me, let me just say this. You're not on the front cover of Voice of the Martyrs. Okay? Yes, we're going to have some difficult times in America. Yes, we're waging wars that are serious, but listen, most of us, are not going to find ourselves on the front cover of Martyrs Magazine. Like us being fearless is going to be different to a degree. 
So I don't know what your opponent is. Let's, let's get it on the ground for you. I don't know. Maybe it's you willing to take a pay cut because you're willing to do what is righteous at your job. You're fearless about that. No, I'm, I'm choosing Christ's way. I'm not just doing what the company wants from me or wants to boost my self-esteem or prestige or fame. I'm about Christ. Maybe it's you just being fearless and talking to your neighbor about Jesus. You're fearless of that opponent or people that you rub shoulders with at work or your family. We all know family life can be a hard opponent, right? So it's, it's talking about just being willing no matter what the opponent is. Now, now, we can't miss the why, okay? The why of it all. Why? Why do we stand firm in one spirit? Why do we strive side by side? Why are we fearless in the face of opposition? Why? This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but your what? Salvation. So Paul's going. If the unbelieving world could see a group of people, right, who walk side by side, striving together, fighting over the primary things, leaving the preferences aside, not making them prejudices, if we're sitting firm in one spirit, if we're all about the advancement of the gospel, if we're fearless in the face of opposition together, he says, man, and then they see the people who are economically, socially, ethnically, should never be hanging out or rubbing shoulders. All of a sudden, they're doing that together. This is going to be a, a, a sign to them of, man, they're right, I mean, they're looking at Paul going, man, he keeps going. Like, what? We, can't, we can't nail this guy. We put him in prison. He's just, oh, it's fine. I mean, if I live here, it's great. If I die here, it's great. Christ will be honored, right? All of a sudden, people are going, man, this is true. They start seeing the faith community. This is why in John 17, what does Jesus pray? They're going to know who I am actually by the way you live in unity. What? I'm going, no. Apologetics, let's do lots of course seminars, let's give you lots of classes on how to defend your faith. You should do those things, we are going to do those things, but that's not primarily what's going to help the unbelieving world see Jesus Christ. It's going to be these things. I mean, it's just amazing, what I'm saying, as the unbelieving world looks on, they're going to just see that and go, man, they just keep going. There's opposition, they just keep going. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He just keeps going. Man, this guy's for real. He actually believes this thing. Because isn't your belief almost tested in the highest way when you're in adversity? Right? Do you really believe this thing? When your family no longer wants you around? Do you really believe this thing when your spouse wishes now you were never married? Do do, do you still believe this thing? It's not just some belief that he exists or he did things. It's a placing your life in his. Going, I'm bought. I got a new master. He calls the shots. Because he's enough. And he's worth it. And here's where, where we see this. He ends it this way. This is how we know that. Verse 29, for it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, this is the verse we white out, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here I still have. Paul's saying, let's draw a line in the sand. See if you're really about this thing. 
let's, let's, let's get a little bit serious. Paul says, did you know that in order to be a part of following Jesus, you actually have to become like him? Did you know that? Now, we don't like to say this in our gospel presentations in America, right? Because Paul says it's been granted for you to not only believe but also to suffer for his sake. That's going to take on a lot of different forms in a lot of different ways. Suffering is not just you being in some third world country with your head on the line. Don't try to categorize it. We're fundamentally suffering because we're in our sinful flesh to start with. But then the degrees of suffering vary. So you're not more righteous or holy because you suffer more in this way pain-wise or emotionally-wise. But we will suffer for his sake. And so a lot of times we'll read this and say, yeah, man, I I want the first part. I want to believe in Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Right? I want that. Wait, wait. I don't want any pain. I don't want any pain. I don't want any, I don't want any opposition in my life. I don't want anyone to not like me, right? But I want Jesus. I don't want to have to give up my lifestyle. I want to just say a prayer. I want to lock it in, right? Jesus says you, you give him yourself. You give him your life. As followers of Jesus, you you trust him alone for the forgiveness of your sin. You, you living a moral life doesn't add righteousness to you. But here he's getting deeper and saying, listen, but when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, your friends may not think you're cool anymore. Like your family may not think you're all there in the head. Like your job may fire you. I may not be allowed to pastor I don't know, right? I mean, these are all what-ifs possibilities, right? But, but he's showing, man, this is a test. Are you willing to deal with that? Brothers and sisters, are you willing, willing to just have that? Because listen, we will suffer well for anything we love. Anything we truly believe is right, right? Your family, I have no doubt in my mind you would suffer for them. Because I know I would go to the stake for my wife and my son. I'd suffer for them. It's a no-brainer. Jesus isn't in a different category. He's actually in a higher category than your family. Guys, this, is, this is hard. This isn't easy. I'm walking alongside you in this. But I'm saying he's showing us that, man, Jesus is, is enough, right? I mean, here's the thing. So many of us, have so many backgrounds, experiences, difficulty, hurt. We all come in this room, and my fear is that if we're not careful, we think that if you take Jesus, Jesus will come into your life and change all the things you don't like. That's not the message of this book. Never been the message of this book. The message of this book is, hey, Jesus will come into your life and give you something greater than all those things you don't like, which is a relationship with himself. And your life may get worse, but he's enough. And you have it all because death is gained for you. You're gonna go home one day. You're gonna experience the riches of Jesus. And here, here's what's amazing is, here's what's awesome, this all comes back to live as Christ. All this. I mean, all this circles back around to this is literally the theme verse of Philippians, the book, and really the Bible. 
To live is Christ, right? So to live is Christ creates a heart and soul that wants to stand firm in one mind and one spirit. To live is Christ creates you to not be self-centered but other-centered and how you can strive side by side. To live is Christ actually gives you great courage in the face of fear because you have a new spirit that the, Timothy says doesn't give you fear or timidity but, but courage and self-control that enables you not to fear opponents but have courage against opponents. I mean, to live is Christ helps you make decisions that are based upon his fame and glory, not your own. So if Christ is the goal, if Christ is the pursuit, then, man, we will walk right. I was thinking this week how I just wanted to say I, I, I sincerely love striving side by side with you. Because I know for many of you, especially those of you who have been here since day one, I know it's never been about a service. It's never been about graphics. It's never been about a preacher. It's never been about how things operate. It's never been about whether you get a position. I know that we could just sit in your backyard and talk about Jesus and worship. That's a sweet thing. I know that it's not about anything more than that. And and that's why I just love striving with you. I know that many of you don't come in here because you feel like you have to. (laughs) I know that you actually sincerely come here because there's nowhere else you'd rather be. That is so encouraging. Praise Christ for that. That is not common. So I'm just going, keep going. (laughs) I'm just going, hey, let, let, let's keep going. Let's keep our eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ. And in that saying, I've got something so good that I'm willing to suffer for it. Why would I ever trade in this for some pain or some uncomfortability? Because I know I, Jesus is enough. I know he's all things to me. I just want to and by, by just encouraging us to have some examination of our hearts. The songs we're going to sing are much more reflective and prayerful. Like I said in the beginning of the sermon, that's kind of how we wanted the service to be. And so here's how I'd encourage you. I'd encourage you to just spend some time examining your heart, confessing, praying. And then as you sing, maybe some of these songs are just your prayer. Let some of these songs just be your prayer to him. You know, I mean, there's, there's, some, there's some obvious ones. I mean... Are you primarily a customer here or a coworker? Do you do you defend more your theological preference, or do you actively and, and vicariously and, and courageously just want to love the people in this church and walk with them in grace? What do you do more of? Do you, do you spend most of your time just with people that all look just like you in this church, or are you trying to get get outside of yourself and maybe experience some people around you that don't look just like you or don't have the same exact background as you? These are all things that I'm praying for my own self. Those are just three good things to consider from this text. And then primarily, is for you to live as Christ? Is for you to die gain? And let's just be, let's just be honest and transparent about it. And, and let's make sure none of us miss this. Only the good, saving, redeeming work of Jesus Christ enables you 
to live a life worthy of the gospel. Okay? Listen, you, you just fight and have one mind and be striving side by side, not being combative. Look, that's not the goal. That's a fruit. Man, let your mantra, your voice, your prayer be, God, help me to live be Christ. And then all those things will fall into its proper place. Let's ask him, God, thank you that you are such a, a good God. Thank you that you've given us a morning to, we always reflect, we always consider, we always examine. God, you lay before us some things that are difficult because we're sinners, because we're imperfect, because we still struggle against the residual effects of the fall that reside in us. But you tell us there is victory in Christ, that we can put them to death, that we are walking in newness of life. God, would you help provide wisdom in how we interact as a faith family? God, maybe we'd be quick to ask questions and just learn people's backgrounds and where they're from and, and how they grew up and what makes them them. God, may we be humble people who are gracious in our theology, holding firm to what is true, not wavering in that. But God, may our words be said and spoken in a way that is uplifting and upbuilding and, and further encouraging and constructing to the body of Jesus Christ. God, help us. God, help us to be able to say to live as Christ. Thank you that, that you paid for it all. Thank you that you don't need morality. And thank you that you're the builder and head of this thing that we call the church, that you called the church. Thank you that you're faithful to your promise and that you'll continue the work you've started in church at Bergen to future glory. Oh, we thank you for that. And God, as we observe the Lord's Supper, I pray that it be sweet this morning, that we would drink deeply and taste freely of the good news that Jesus Christ became our sin for us and gave us his righteousness through his death, through his life, through his resurrection. God, may we depend more on you this week than last week. In Jesus' name, amen.